0: Welcome to God Pods, faith conversations from Boston College's Church in the 21st Century
1: Center. This is Carrie Cronin. I'm so glad to be here today for this uh, episode of God Pods. I am the Associate Director of the Perspectives Program at Boston College, and I am delighted to be here with my good friend, I think we've been friends for about 120 years. Uh, My good friend, Dr. Brian Brayman, who served for many years as the director of the Perspectives Program, Um, and we're here today to talk a little bit about finding God in art and architecture, and um, you're the expert in the room, Brian, so... (laughs) so, So let's start uh, just by asking you, Brian, I want to ask you just to tell us your story a little bit. Uh, You served as the director of the Perspectives Program, which for our listeners is an interdisciplinary program at at BC, um, which has been around for decades. And Brian has served faithfully in that program, has taught and served as its director. So Brian, tell us the story of your work in Perspectives and how it led you to think about God and art and architecture.
0: Well, thanks, Carrie, and um, certainly I'm delighted to be here, and I want to thank all those involved who have taken a risk in asking me to do
1: this.
0: (laughs) Um, As Carrie just mentioned, I was director of our uh, Great Books Interdisciplinary Program for for a little over 20 years, and actually, uh, I was fortunate enough to be hired by Father Joe Flanagan in the philosophy department to run the program. And one of the great advantages for me personally and intellectually about the program is that I had to learn to teach all four of the perspectives, which is basically the philosophy, theology, art, architecture, music, sculpture, social sciences, and new scientific visions, mathematics, chemistry. So, uh, no. Everything just, about everything. Everything about <laughs> everything. And to say that I learned it, well, that's a sliding scale. Uh, one of, the, one of the perspectives courses that I really fell in love with um, was Modernism in the Arts. And Modernism in the Arts, just for those who are interested, it's a year-long, double-credit uh, course that traces a the theme of modernism as it gets reflected in art, literature, painting, sculpture, music, and architecture. And it was my work in architecture that, or reading Christian Norbert Schultz's um, Genius Loci, that I really took a shine for architecture uh, because the way in which of thinking about buildings and the function of buildings or the role of buildings in our life as human beings, and that basically set me on a kind of path to to read more, to think more about how important architecture is in our lives. That we really don't pay much attention to the buildings we inhabit uh, and what Kind of impact those buildings have on our own kind of spiritual and psychic life. Um, so that's how I got to this point. And with respect to our conversation today, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about art, but I'm also going to focus uh, on what I think are elements in architecture that people don't obviously think about when we think about buildings. Uh, we just seem to come and go. So for instance, we're in Heffernan House. I mean, how many days have you come here and thought about, what does this place do to my psyche? I mean, <laughs> besides I have to work and that kills me, but nonetheless. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's kind of my background.
1: That's great. I think that's really helpful. I, I, uh, for our listeners, I want, I want everyone to know that your, uh, your, Brian's classes are hugely popular with students. Uh, he's a Pied Piper on campus, uh, really. And students tell me a lot I hear from students that um when they take your class uh, particularly in this area of of architecture, students will say, "I didn't know that the buildings on campus were speaking to me, <laughs> and that's something that you really open up for students um that buildings talk to us, that they communicate with us and that we communicate with our surroundings and our and the as you say the 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 buildings in, that we inhabit. So can you say something, a little bit about that? How do buildings talk?
0: Uh, yeah, and I'll, you know, I'll try and avoid a lot of the kind of pedantic nonsense that I'm prone to. Pedantic uh, <laughs> nonsense. And, and also to call me a Pied Piper, it's more about leading <laughs> snakes out of Ireland than it is <laughs> All right. than anything a else.
1: St. Patrick, we'll call you St. Patrick. <laughs>
0: uh, I think one of the things that students are surprised by is precisely the fact that buildings... Uh, communicate meanings. Buildings speak to us day in and day out, and oftentimes we're not even aware of it. And to think about meaning and values in architectural expressions is to think about the way in which a particular culture is trying to express what it considers to be important in terms of the built environment. Hmm. So BC's campus, uh, there's a large section of buildings that are in the kind of Gothic tradition. And that basically means that it's a it's a vocabulary taken from the Middle Ages, but that vocabulary is about what does it mean to think about our pursuit of the intellectual life in conjunction with our pursuit of our spiritual life. Mm. So Gothic architecture is a way in which to talk about the relationship between um, faith and reason coming out of the Middle Ages. Um, so the values then are those values that we would associate with those kinds of architectural expressions. So if you think about architectural expressions, so everyone's familiar with Cape Cod, Queen Anne style. Um, and here at BC, there's a, a road that runs behind where we are called Tudor Road. It's because all the houses are Tudor style. So what does that mean? Well, it's a kind of vocabulary about a particular style of that took place under the reign of Henry VIII and his progeny. And it bespeaks certain fundamental values. Uh, There's a stateliness, there's an elegance, there's an expression of wealth without being ostentatious. So so when we we talk about buildings and and the meanings they communicate, so part of it has to be to raise a question. And, And Louis Kahn, the great American architect, He had a question along these lines when he would say, what does this building want to be? What does this building want to say to you? So whenever we encounter a building, we ought to ask that question. What is this thing trying to communicate to me? What are the values? I remember I was in Helsinki a number of years ago for a conference. And I, you know, I always try and visit museums. And their museum was the international style, which was all concrete and glass. Now, this is in the summer. So the weather was really warm and pleasant. But I went into that museum and it just as if a cold uh, Norwegian wind blew <laughs> through my soul. It was as cold as the day is long. Huh. And it had to do with the kind of architectural expression. It was very international, um, borderlining on brutalist. So my experience of that building and the meanings it was trying to communicate seemed to be antithetical to being a, a, a museum in that way. Hmm. Uh, is that helpful?
1: Yeah, no, that's really helpful. Uh, I, excuse me. Yes, that's really helpful. <laughs> it's, I like that way of thinking about buildings having vocabulary that that you know there's semantics or linguistic structures even and and I also love that idea of that a building can raise a question. Um, that's beautiful. That is great. So. I am wondering as you as you talk about the ways that art and architecture sort of raise these or articulate these meanings and values of particular times and places is there a is there any particular era of art that you are very much drawn to especially in in these kinds of questions
0: yeah, let me just back up a second. I think one of the important things I forgot to mention about architecture in general is that uh, Father Flanagan, again, who was responsible for the Perspectives program when he was educating me and how to teach modernism and the arts, he always had these pithy little ways of talking about the, the particular kind of uh, author we're doing. And so he said to me one day, uh, when we were talking about architecture, he said, Martin Heidegger was the first one to discover we had feet. Now, <laughs> That seems pretty obvious, right? But what he was trying to get at was the fact that Heidegger talked about dwelling on the earth and under the sky. And Christian Norberg Schultz in his work on architecture took from Heidegger this notion that buildings sit on the earth and under the sky. And those buildings ought to help us dwell in such a way as to help our lives become more fully human. Hmm. Now, with respect to your question, it's not as if I have a favorite kind of period I've been immersed recently in reading a lot about broke culture and broke architecture. Oh. And the reason the reason for that is that um there's a book by Louis Dupré who is an emeritus uh at Yale now called Passages to Modernity and it's basically a very intellectual way of talking about what we do in perspectives one from the ancients to the moderns. But he had this couple pages on Baroque culture and he said Baroque culture was the last attempt to integrate the relationship between grace and nature. Hmm. And that really struck me because I had never thought about that. I mean, I was familiar with Baroque architecture. I was familiar with it because of an acquaintance of mine used to call Baroque and Rococo basically congealed fireworks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Congealed fireworks, that's great.
0: You know, oh, yeah. and so I, I didn't really kind of think a lot about it. I thought, yeah, I kind of get what he's saying. But then when uh, Dupre wrote this, I began to start reading more about what it is he was trying to get at with the re, relationship between grace and nature. Because Baroque comes out of the Reformation. Hmm. And again, well, this is a kind of theological podcast. So those of you who are familiar with one of the issues in the Reformation was indeed the split between grace and nature. Um, and that grace was something superimposed, that human nature was antithetical to grace, those sorts of things.
1: Oh, sort of bifurcating. Yeah, bifurcating,
0: mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. So they ended up with this kind of catchy phrase of the two-story universe. There's the supernatural universe, and then the natural universe, and the two never meet. Mm-hmm. So the more I began to reread about Baroque culture and then broke architecture, I began to see what Dupre's point was, that if you're familiar at all with particularly baroque architecture it does come across as gaudy uh, gaudy and it seems triumphalistic but on closer examination one of the things that really struck me is the dynamism that is inherent in the in the architectural expression itself it's architecture that's on the move and if you're in a baroque Mm. church there's a stronger feeling of being both within a horizontal and a vertical framework that is the horizontal framework of human existence and the vertical framework of God's presence. I'm reminded uh, of T.S. Eliot's uh, Four Quartets where he talks about the intersection of the timeless with the time. Mm-hmm. And Broke architecture is able to place you in that context where God and nature are operating together, even though they're distinct. So it really does give a very strong feel for the human journey as a process in God's calling us forward. And geometrically, one of the things that's important about Baroque architecture is the use of ellipses. Because circles used to be considered the most perfect geometrical form. Mm -hmm. And, and, And those who are familiar with Kepler realized that that was part of the problem because he kept trying to think about how the planets can move in a circle, but it didn't solve a particular problem until he hit upon the ellipse. So the ellipse is much more dynamic in its ah. in its uh, kind of geometrical movement, mm-hmm. and the other thing about Baroque architecture, theologically, unlike say Gothic, so if you've entered a Gothic church, right, there's you know you can't mistake that this is a Gothic church. I mean, because your eyes immediately want to go to the heavens. Um, it's not necessarily narrow, but you do feel as as it were within the context of a kind of orientation that is strictly vertical.
1: Yeah, you're swept up. Yeah, yeah, right. exactly. Mm-hmm. You're swept mm-hmm. up.
0: Whereas in Baroque uh, ecclesial architecture, one of the important theological points was if you go into a broke church, truly a broke church, right. your eyes automatically want to focus on the center altar. Ah. And the reason for that is because one of the big points of controversy during the Reformation was the real presence in the Eucharist. Right. Right. So architecturally then, broke is an attempt to basically reinforce theologically what the church taught about Christ's real presence in the altar. Ah. You know, and there's a lot written about the fact that the broke art and architecture just was a way to reinforce the kind of glory of the Roman church. And, you know, and I can see that and there's probably a lot of truth in that. But I think what's missing is precisely the more deeper uh, aspect that broke architecture and the culture itself. Is somehow, even with its grandeur and its misery, is somehow an attempt to basically say that God's presence to us is imminent as well as transcendence, and that human beings are involved in this journey and God is working through the natural order of things.
1: Ah, so some of these so would you say then that those types of Baroque cathedrals they're they're sort of trying to address or answer that that bifurcation of yes. grace yeah, and absolutely. nature by giving us both in a dynamic relationship yes. with each other. Yeah. Could you for our listeners and for me please can you is there an example of a baroque building that you might point to that sure. we could go look at?
0: Uh, well, you'd have to travel to Italy, or, or probably wouldn't could. be a bad thing. Or <laughs> Germany. Let's all you? go. Let's go
1: now. Um, but if we could look it up on the Google, <laughs> where where should we look?
0: Well, if you're looking on the Google, uh, look for San Andrea Quirinale. Okay. It's, um, it's a church by um, Bernini. Uh, and it was the Jesuit novitiate church. Mm-hmm. And it's much smaller than, than say, the Jesu or mm-hmm. St. Ignatius but it really captures I think the geometrical form of the broke so it's you enter and it's in uh, an ellipsis shape mm-hmm. it's very intimate but it's open so there's a sense in which not only are you present to to the kind of natural environment that's going on around you but it's also God's presence in this rather open space I mean so in general what I want to say also is that Broke architecture, and we find in churches, it's very dramatic Mm. because human existence, as Bernard Lonergan tells us, is really a drama. And so, broke architecture really expresses the fact that human existence is this drama that can be both tragic and joyous and uh, wonderful, and uh, um, one can struggle, but nonetheless. The architecture itself just reinforces the dramatic way of human the, that human beings have in terms of living out their life. So San Andrea, because it's small, you can get a really can uh, you can get a great appreciation for it. Also, what's important about Baroque architecture in terms of churches is that's it's an integration of the various art forms. Mm. So all the art, whether that's painting, frescoes, statues, are all part of the dynamic orientation to engage the senses, to engage the whole of the human person, to place you in an environment where you realize you are in touch with the holy, but it's not as if you have to go to the desert or anything like that. It's in the context of already things that are considered to be glorious about human existence. Um, hmm. Does that make any sense? No. Yeah,
1: yeah that's, a, that's really interesting to me. Um, I, I love this point that uh, to find... What is glorious, not just about God, right. but about ourselves, uh, and I, I love this point.
0: Let me just give you one other example. Now, this is sure. this is kind of the Rococo expression of Baroque, which tends, again, to to be a little more elaborate, if you can, a little more fancy. <laughs> yeah. So there's a church called the um, uh, Weisskirche the White Church. It's mm-hmm. in Bavaria, mm-hmm. and it was a pilgrimage church. It's now a UNESCO um, heritage site. So if you look up a picture of that, what, is so, what I find to be so absolutely beautiful and stunning about this church is that physically it mirrors the landscape it sits in. Hmm. So the rooftop undulates in relationship to the mountains behind it. The steeple of the church in some ways peaks between two mountain peaks. It is white and yellow and it, because it sits in this field, but inside the church it's brilliantly white and the glass is all clear there's gold everywhere um so here's a church that takes the natural surroundings that schultz suggests that architecture ought to do and incorporates that in terms of the way in which we want to express ourselves liturgically Mm -hmm. um it's just an absolutely stunning church so if you go online pictures of the interior the exterior it really is a marvelous example i think of what i've been trying to suggest
1: that's wonderful now because we're sitting uh, on this gorgeous campus uh, in Newton Massachusetts um, on Boston College's campus um, you've got to love the Gothic though right I mean <laughs> no
0: that's right what are
1: some of your favorite Gothic uh,
0: well uh, I guess examples? I guess my favorite uh, I've been fortunate enough to have to have been able to see a lot of French Gothic, Chartres, Rennes, then Notre Dame Mm -hmm. uh, before, Um, um, Saint-Denis. But my favorite Gothic church is the Duomo in Milan. Oh, yes. It's late Gothic, very late, and it's much more ornate than you would associate with other Gothic architecture. But I think the reason it's my favorite is that because it seems to have incorporated all the earlier vocabularies of Gothic architecture, and incorporated in such a way as to preserve what's distinct about Gothic, but to place you uh, in a to place you in such a way as to realize that you've moved through history and you're now moving in another kind of historical moment that this uh, Duomo represents. Um, as a side note, all the cardinals and archbishops of Milan are buried there mm. from the inception of Milan. They found the baptistry that St. Uh, Ambrose baptized Augustine in 385 below wow. the church, Santecola. So it's a church that basically draws upon the whole of our Christian history, but it does so through this architectural vocabulary. Um again it's you just hmm. can't help but feel that you're not in the presence of some overwhelming kind of sense of God's transcendence hmm. but you don't feel you don't feel dwarfed like I've experienced in other kind of gothic expressions
1: hmm. now that's I, I I really like that point that you just made of, of to not feel sort of crushed by right. by it, right. but to feel that you're participating in it yeah right and that that's a really interesting idea, I think, that you're putting forward that that it's our participation in in dwelling right. in these buildings that sort of gathers up yep. these yep. meanings. Yep. And and that they're historic you know, that you're situated in your own history, but in this long vocab- this long history right. of the vocabulary and the meanings. Yeah. that's
0: fantastic. That's and as a side note too, and this may be somewhat controversial, I suspect. but
1: ooh, controversial. Well one of the
0: things that is problematic from my point of view about the international style of architecture is precisely it pegs itself as international. It no longer is rooted in any kind of historical account of of architectural vocabulary. Mm. And it certainly isn't sensitive to kind of the cultural needs of the community. Mm. So it seems to want to be an architectural expression that stands outside of space and time. Mm -hmm. That's just a side note.
1: No, that was was interesting. I'm sure maybe we'll get some responses on that. Mm. (laughs) Um, So are there for our listeners, as we sort of head into wrapping this up, Would you, are there any other recommendations that you would make of artists, uh, pieces of art, you know, other buildings, um, pieces of music that you would point to that you think are particularly good at gathering up sort of religious meanings? Is there anything you would like us to go look at or listen to? Yeah,
0: I mean, musically. Bach basically is the kind of major, <laughs> the go to guy, the go-to guy <laughs> if you're serious about Baroque and, and what Bach is doing musically. It really is uh, this you feel that his pieces just want to go on forever mm. and they're not going to rest at all. And so there's a dis- dynamism to Bach's music that uh, I think just kind of reinforces. Th- th- the kind of natural desire that we have to be in god Mm, and it facilitates it that way Uh, of course in terms of painters there's a lot of uh uh, really important baroque painters but the person i think the go-to guy yeah um go to person (laughs) he's a guy okay (laughs) caravaggio
1: oh yes
0: Because you look at his paintings and that they are quintessentially dynamic and dramatic. And it's the tension between light and dark. And it really captures, I think, the really serious aspects of the human journey. And the thing about Caravaggio as a human being is his life was all over the map too. I mean, you know, he was accused of murder. And so if nothing else, he's an artist who at least is mired in the darker side of human existence. (laughs) But his paintings always seem to reflect in a very deep way God's presence in the natural uh, order. So, Mm. I think it's the French Church in Rome that has that picture of the Calling of Saint Matthew by Caravaggio.
1: You told me to go see that, and I went when I was in Rome. You
0: know, and and the way he uses light to kind of to to tell the story of of what it is he's painting is really significant. Christopher Wren, uh, his cathedral in London, Saint uh, Saint Paul's Cathedral, mm-hmm. is also, mm-hmm. uh, I think, a must-see. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Balthazar Neumann, who was a German architect who was responsible for, um, I forget the church's name, but another pilgrimage church in um, in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are just some okay. that's great. some names I'd throw out there.
1: Yeah, no, that's wonderful. I think. Um, Again, so so for a last question, let me let me ask you this because I I'm hearing you say in, in so many words that art and architecture and music and literature can can help us tell ourselves our own stories. Oh,
0: absolutely.
1: And but most of us who are listening to this podcast aren't going to get to go visit those churches next weekend, but we'll be <laughs> we'll be going to the churches in our own parishes and you know i'm thinking of sort of my mom and i will be going to the to the church uh that that she goes to what can i look for in that small church to help me pray to help me have this experience of of finding god's transcendence and imminence and um in in my liturgical practices or my prayer practices? What, what would you, what tips would you give us?
0: Well, I would, I would suggest that, um, the churches that, I don't know what the church looks like that you go to, so <laughs> I have no idea. But I think art plays such an important role in the Catholic imagination that, you know, the statues that are in the church, if they have stained glass paintings, are uh, Because I think we have a natural orientation to beauty and we kind of know schlock when we see it and Mm -hmm. we know stuff that's really, this is really good. yeah. Yeah. And so I guess one of the questions is is to what degree is the art inside the church helping to bring me out of myself in in a richer way? Mm -hmm. Uh, The question that I raised earlier, what does this building want to be? Does it want to be a church or does it want to be a meeting hall that substitutes as a church? Does it want to be, you know, some sort of, other thing. Right. Um, so.
1: Yeah, does it want to be a refuge yeah. for me? Does it want to be a, inspiring to me? Nah, that's interesting.
0: And the other thing, too, is that um, it's not unreasonable to think about going into a church and even in art itself and thinking about it as Alexio Divina, hmm. the old spiritual practice, are still an important right? spiritual practice in the Roman church. Of how to read Scripture, but how does one read the the churches that we're in? Our our eyes, our you know, hearing, sensing, Mm. touching. To what degree are we actually engaged in the totality of our of our physical and spiritual being? Uh, I mean, if we go into a church and it's just it's like being in just a what do I want to say?
1: Punching the clock. Yeah, just punching the clock or.
0: Or what I say, so we've got a building on campus here called, called Kearney Hall. And so there was a period in the 60s when I call this the Catholic bunker look.
1: Mm-hmm. I yeah, mean,
0: there's right. nothing particularly attractive or inviting about that. And right. it's, certainly there are many churches that have fallen in that. Yeah, that
1: are utilitarian. Utilitarian, way, right? right? And
0: right. I understand, you know, the sure. cost plays sure. a role. those sorts of things. But it seems to be absent of a of kind of an imaginative way of thinking about mm. how architecture is to support our prayer life.
1: Yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Is mm-hmm. that helpful? Yeah, that's really helpful. That's great. This has been wonderful. What a great conversation. I'm so I, I'm so appreciative, and I'm sure our listeners are going to love this. Um, we'll have to have you back sometime. I would love to interview you on other, maybe some, something on poetry or music. This is fantastic. <laughs> Um, thanks so much. And um, Brian and I, I'd like to thank the audience. We're so happy to be part of this ongoing Church in the 21st Century God podcast series. Uh, thanks for joining us today and um, get to church. Okay, thanks.
0: Thanks, everybody. For more Catholic faith resources, follow us at bc.edu backslash c21 or via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.